What up all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 189 of Misfits and Rejects. Today's episode, I spoke with Sophie Cowanbedek from wonderfulwanderings.com. Sophie is a travel blogger who focuses primarily on European travel. She is a super interesting lady with a cool story, how she turned her blog which is a side hustle into her full-time business that at this point, as of January 2020, was getting 100,000 readers per month. What a huge accomplishment for any blogger. And she has a very nice income coming through her blog, which I think for a lot of content creators, writers specifically out there who do blog, that is a milestone that they are all striving for. And she has accomplished it in a fairly short period of time. I have no doubt that through her story, anybody out there listening who has aspirations like this will have a nice blueprint of how to do it, how she did it, and how to possibly create something for yourself online, especially in times right now with you know a lot of people losing their jobs because of COVID-19, not having income, looking for new ways to possibly make income. Online entrepreneurship is a great way. It's not easy. It's not fast, but it is possible. So definitely check her out at wonderfulwanderings.com. And if you're a first-time listener, please pull up that phone, hit the subscribe button, whether you're listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, whatever it may be, hitting subscribe really helps me get found a lot faster within the search engines of podcasts and uh, helps just build my rankings. And with that said, there will be an extra episode coming out this week after Sophie's. It'll be an update from me, episode 190. It'll come out sometime this week. I don't have the specific day yet, uh, but you can keep an eye out for that. It is a unique episode in that I really divulge a lot of what's been going on with me and Misfits and Rechecks of recent. It's an interesting place I find myself in. I really like being transparent and letting everybody know the, my process, the process, how things are going with my businesses online, You know my surf progression techniques. Well, episode 190 will be all about misfits and rejects and what happened recently that you all hear about. Um, and I could use your help. Don't worry, I'm not going to hit you up for money. It's nothing like that. It's more, I'd like to hear from you. The kind of help I need from you, the audience, you know, longtime listeners who really appreciate what I do with misfits and rejects. Or if you're a new listener and you could foresee yourself continue to listen to misfits and rejects because you like the content, I could really use your help. I'd like to connect with you. And I would really love to hear from you. So if you are interested in reaching out to me early before I release this next episode, 190, and give you the full story, if you'd like to get the story early on what's going on and how you can help, please reach out to me at my email, which is chapin at misfitsandrejects.com. You can find it on my website as well, misfitsandrejects.com. But I could definitely use your help. It's, for me, a big turning point within Misfits and Rejects. I'm excited for it. I'm motivated. I have no doubt that Misfits and Rejects will continue to grow and will continue to deliver valuable, inspirational content to you and future listeners. But I am at a point where getting to know you, the listener, is very important for me and the future of Misfits and Rejects. So if you'd like to participate and help me grow Misfits and Rejects, please hit me up, chapin at misfitsandrejects.com. All you have to write is what's up, and again, I'm not going to hit you up for money. It's nothing like that. It's just I really would like to get to know you, the listener, the longtime listeners who have been with me from the beginning. be great to hear from you. I'd really like to start a dialogue and get your help in growing Misfits and Rejects. So stay tuned and be prepared because I'm going to sneak an extra episode in after Sophie's sometime this week where you're going to hear the full story 
totally transparent, authentic, what's going with me, Misfits and Rejects, and the huge shock that happened recently with Misfits and Rejects. So stay tuned for that. But until then, please sit back, relax, enjoy this episode with Sophie Cowanbetic from WonderfulWanderings.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Sophie Cohenbedek from WonderfulWanderings.com. Sophie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. You are in Belgium as we speak, correct? That's correct, yeah. That's not normal for you, though, because you are a digital nomad constantly wandering around, but you're originally from Belgium? Yeah, I am originally from Belgium. I started my digital nomad journey actually at the start of this year in January, and I was aiming to visit a different place every month, kind of to find a new home base somewhere in the world. But that plan got interrupted because of the current situation. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, including myself, like I plan to be in actually um, Trinidad and Tobago right now. Um, but that plan was foiled, <laughs> as I think <laughs> many of my travel plans in the near future have been foiled for a while. But I'm looking to take the first flight out of here when I can. When you do get the opportunity, where do you think you'll go? Ooh, it's it's a tough question because now I kind of feel like I want to go everywhere. But so I left Lisbon to come back to Belgium because of the coronavirus. So I think I might actually just go back there because I feel like I have unfinished business there. Mm-hmm. Um, in what sense? Like a boyfriend? No offense. No, no. Something way better. Pastries. I love sweets. And someone actually challenged me to write an article about the famous pastage de nata, like the little uh, custard tarts that are so famous for Lisbon. Um, so I had made a whole list and I wanted to visit 30 different like bakeries, pastry places in 30 days. And I got started, but then like the semi-lockdown in Portugal happened as well. So I couldn't really continue and I do still want to write that article and visit those 30 places and have 30 pastries. So I think that's why I'll go back. Oh, I love how you think. <laughs> think the same way. Uh, one, the goal setting that you do sounds like we're similar. And then I love pastries as well. I'm like an amateur baker. Do you bake? Really? No. So I have a policy that I eat but don't bake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you don't like to cook and bake or Why? No, I, I might eat too much. I'm I'm a massive foodie in the sense that like I love to eat and I love to know the history behind certain dishes, for example. Um, but I do not like to cook. Like it's I'm not one of those people who finds it peaceful. I don't love to bake at all. Um, so cooking courses, for example, are not my jam. I'll just go somewhere and I'll eat the thing and then I'll be very happy. Fair enough. That's that totally fair. I mean, my my ideal birthday morning is to wake up with a plate of pastries and a bottle of champagne. Like that's how I spend my morning on my birthday. Sounds good. I don't drink alcohol, but I'm a massive tea drinker, so I'll have the pastries and a cup of tea. 
Okay, what's your favorite tea? Uh, I'd say green tea with something citrusy or like a good old school Earl, Earl Grey always works well. Interesting. See, I'm not a fan of Earl Grey. I'm only, I only drink tea really. I'm a drinker alcohol-wise, but I don't drink coffee. So I like a black tea, like a PG Tips for me right now is kind of what I'm drinking. And then I'm tech right now, actually, I'm drinking green tea with jasmine in it. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah, that's good. I've, I never had – what is it called? PG Tips? Yeah, it's a British brand of black tea. Mm. I think it's pretty standard. It's nothing like fancy schmancy, but I really like yeah. it. It's pretty simple, affordable. Is it like a breakfast tea? Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can do those. More of a fan of, of Earl Grey, though. Okay. For me, it tastes like pulpourri. Like, a, like oh, a, like I interesting. Have this weird relationship with the scent and the taste of it. It reminds me of being in my grandmother's bathroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is, I can see that, though. Yeah. It's just yeah. Got this floral kind of like, I don't know. I can't wrap my palate around. I just can't. Do yeah. It. Yeah. It does have this certain scent to it. Um, that's cool. I've never been to Portugal, um, spoken to a lot of people who love it. I would love to get there. Aside from the pastry, pastries, what have you fallen in love with there to make you kind the of – The other food? Like, okay. <laughs> is, is that okay to say? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean do you seek out like restaurants that are notable like top chefs or is it just um, specific types of dishes that you kind of fall in love with? Mm, no, no. I, I quite do the opposite. So I – really do most of my research on Google Maps. Um, and I just, I try to find the places that either have only reviews in the local language or in Portuguese, or where people explicitly say like, oh, we went there and we were the only tourists. Um, like I know the whole authentic travel thing is a bit overblown and it's it's really hard to find those places where it's really still local. But I feel like even in Lisbon, I mean, I went to a restaurant there and it kind of feels like you enter into your grandma's living room and it was like, it wasn't super cozy at all. It didn't look like a restaurant, but you just, you grab a seat and there's a very limited menu and the, like the, there's an old lady serving you. She comes up to you. She only speaks Portuguese, but then you have like the most amazing fresh fish and it's, it's super simple, but it's so, so good. And it was like in this tiny alley. You would never walk past it when you're like visiting sites or stuff like that. Um, so those are the kind of places that I try to go for. Those and famous pastry places. That's really cool. I noticed pre-show you mentioned that your nomad, no, well, you said nomading started this year. And then you are staying predominantly in Europe nomading which was unique and interesting to me because, I mean, most of the nomads I speak to are doing, obviously, Southeast Asia, um, Eastern Europe, uh, Central and South America. Like, why why Europe for you? Why was that your cho choice to nomad first? Yeah, so my goal isn't to be, like, my actual goal isn't to be a nomad or to keep doing this perpetually. My goal is really to find a new home base um, and I do, I am open to living somewhere outside of Europe, but Europe is just, I really love Europe and Europe is just so easy for me because obviously I have the European passport. I don't need to think about visas or anything like that. Um, I love that we have so many different cultures, uh, cultures in a quite small area. 
Um, so the idea for this year, um, which is obviously not happening anymore, was to kind of try like 11 or 12 cities within Europe to get a first idea of where I want to be based and then maybe try a place for six months or so and make smaller trips from there and then kind of decide, okay, do I want to stay here? Do I want to go somewhere else? Um, also, I'm very close with my family. So moving to somewhere else within Europe would still make it easy for me to get back to them if that was necessary. I like that. Do you mind just taking us through, I'm assuming just based on the way you're speaking, you already had the 12 cities listed. I actually hadn't, which is very, it's very unusual for me because I'm like the biggest planner out there. And yeah, I, I like I did have already like 10 or 12 trips listed for this year, just for work purposes and, and leisure purposes as well. Um, but I kind of wanted to stop myself from doing that for this journey, because I felt like if I would plan every month, then I would probably miss out on a lot of opportunities, even if it was just that I would want to stay longer somewhere for a while, or if I didn't like a place and I wanted to go faster to somewhere else. So I had planned my first three months, which were Valencia, Berlin, and then Lisbon. And I had planned to go to Malaga after Lisbon, which I didn't end up doing because I had to return back to Belgium from Lisbon. Um, but after that, I didn't really have any plans. And the idea was that I would just book the ne next destination um, one by one. Look at you getting crazy. No plans. Yeah. If you know me, this is really crazy for me. How many languages do you speak? Um, so my native language is Dutch. And then I also speak English. I speak French. And I speak a bit of Spanish. Okay. And so it sounds four. like um, Portuguese could come with some practice fairly naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Like reading it is fairly easy for me. Um, understanding and speaking it is harder because the pronunciation is very different to Spanish, even though the vocabulary is quite similar. But I think um, if I would live there for a while, I would definitely be able to pick it up fairly easily. And it's actually interesting that you mentioned languages because like I made this list of criteria for myself for the place that I want to move to. And one of the criteria is that I want to have to learn. I want to wait. Let me rephrase that. I want to have to want to learn the language. So, yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to live. I'd, I'd never want to live somewhere where I couldn't speak like the local language if I lived there long term. But, for example, I, I love Bulgaria. I've only been there once, but it really has a special place in my heart. But I don't think I would want to learn Bulgarian. Like, I think I, I would prefer sticking to the same alphabet for starters. Yeah, no, I feel you. Um, can you name the other criteria? Because that was going to be my next question, actually. You yeah, I have, I have quite a few. <laughs> Tell me all of them, please, actually. I'm intrigued. Okay, so one is that it needs to be a place where I can get to an international airport within an hour, either by car or public transportation. It needs to have at least one decent dance school because like dancing is my big passion next to food and travel. Um, it needs to have, like I don't want to end up in an expat bubble, but there needs to be somewhat of an international community so that there's, you know, I, I'd like to be somewhere where there are other entrepreneurs and digital nomads because that's what I've really been missing here in Belgium. 
And then what else would I like? I want somewhere where there's a good foodie scene and especially where it's easy to get lots of fresh vegetables. That's another criteria. And then the weather needs to be better in Belgium than in Belgium, which isn't that hard. It's a bit harder if you stay within Europe. Um, but yeah, I, I really miss sunshine when I'm in Belgium. It's been really good here since I got back, but usually the country is pretty gray. Um, and sunshine is really important to me. Like I'm way more productive. I'm way more happy just when there's more light outside. No, I feel you. And those are really great criteria. I like all those. What kind Thank of you. dancing do you do? Uh, so I'm a hip hop dancer mostly. Nice, dude. I, yeah. Because I, I, hip hop meaning like, I can't call you a B-boy. but like... No, no, it's really, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's choreography. So I've mostly done choreography, but there's different kinds of hip hop and everybody calls it a bit the same. But yeah, I would call it like LA new style hip hop. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, like the stuff you see in the video clips. Has <laughs> that seen pretty prevalent? Seen pretty prevalent in and throughout Europe. Mm, it's very big in Brussels. So I've well before I left Belgium, I'd been dancing in Brussels for huh, I think at least fourteen years or something like that. Um, and the dance school I had there was really really good. So my demands, let's say. Um, for a dance school are pretty high, at least for what concerns hip-hop classes. And it depends a bit on where you go. Like, I know there's a quite good scene in Berlin, for example. But then when I was in Valencia, it was clear that if I wanted to dance there, I'd have to do another style to get, like, classes in quite a good, at quite a good level. Because, um, yeah, I'm someone I do want to feel challenged when I take a class, and I'm not just going to move a little bit oh this is so interesting i love this <laughs> um yeah wow like y before you decided to nomad around can you give us some background on you your life before nomading before uh wonderfulwanderings.com i mean you've been doing this since wonderful wandering since 2012 right and yeah yeah i've been doing it for a while since what um 2015. Okay. So, yeah, can you give us a little bit more about your background history, how, how things kind of got to where you are today? Yeah, I actually, I followed like a pretty classical path, I would say. Like ever since I was 12 or 13 years old, I knew what, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Like I always said, I want to do something with reading and writing. That was like my description of what my job later would be. And so when I had to go to or when I could go to university, I chose to study literature and linguistics, um, which I got my master's degree in. And then because my studies had been very theoretical, I didn't really feel ready to go to work yet. So I did another master's in cultural management um, that ended up not being for me at all. But it was a good year because I got to live in Antwerp for a year and I spent half a year on a research project kind of working by myself, which I really, really enjoyed. And then after I graduated, it didn't take me, I think it only took me like a month or so to find my first job, which was at the Belgian press agency. And I was so happy because I thought like everything is going as planned. You know, I studied the things that I wanted to study I found a job that I thought I'd always wanted. Um, I was quite miserable <laughs> at that job, I have to say. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, it, it seems weird, but it kind of felt 
like going back to high school. Like what I really loved about university is that I was free to divide my time as I wished. Like I was in control of when I did my work. I could do things like very well in time or I could, you know, wait until the deadline. I I only had like a few hours of class every week, especially the last years. So I was really kind of my own boss, I would say, in university. Whereas in high school, you're in this structure where you have to be at school from, you know, like eight to four or something. You have to take these classes and you can't really progress at your own speed because you have to follow the structure that the school imposes. And I kind of felt the same way at my first job again. Like I had to be there at certain times and my my work had to be, you know, adjusted also to the, the work that my colleagues were doing. And I, I don't know, I guess I've, I already felt a bit stuck there, but I couldn't really pinpoint what the feeling was. Um, and so I worked there for a little over a year. This was like the contract lasted for a year and a half or so and then it was just the project was over and I had to find another job and my feeling was just like oh you know I just got unlucky that first job it it wasn't what I expected and that's fine and then I ended up working for an international publishing house um, where I did copywriting and marketing coordination it sounds really fancy but um, basically I just made sure that all the departments did what they needed to do for us to get our promotional material out on time. Um, and I did that for only three years. And again, I was quite miserable. Um, <laughs> and I only realized that I was miserable afterwards because I just thought like, oh, this is work, you know, you're, you're not supposed to be like super happy in it, or it's normal that, you know, it's normal that you have colleagues that you don't really get along with sometimes or that stuff is frustrating or whatever. Um, but then I quit my job beginning of 2015. And before that, like months before that, I always had like this little physical like ailments, I would say, you know, I'd, I'd often have like a tummy ache or I'd often had a headache or whatever. And as soon as I quit my job and I started working for myself, that all went away. And I just, I realized I'd had so much like stress and unhappiness that had, yeah, that had come out like in physical pain, but, and that was the way that my body was expressing, like you need to change something, but I just never realized it was, that was what's going on. Yeah. I've heard this happening to a few people and yeah, once they made that change, it all went away. Um, yeah, this is super cool. So then was Wonderful Wanderings your first kind of flagship online endeavor that just it worked? Or did you have other failed attempts at other things? No, that was the first thing. So I, I launched the blog um, about, I would say, yeah, so in 2012, so two and a half years before I actually quit my job. But I launched it really as a hobby because um, I wasn't really happy with the kind of writing I could do at my work. And so I was like, okay, like, I love writing, I love travel, maybe I should just write about travel. Um, you know, looked up online, I started this really awful looking blogger or blog spot or whatever it was back in the day, like blog, quickly realized WordPress was better, switched to blog, and kind of really started doing it as like a diary style travel blog like oh that day I went there and I did those things and there was no structure there was no plan at all 
but I love like researching and digging into stuff. So I quickly realized that, oh, there's people who turn this into a business and there's people who are doing this full time. Um, so I quickly wanted to, to turn it into something more. And I, I just, I educated myself in digital marketing and all the things that you can do with basically to grow a blog. And, and so it, it kind of professionalized as I went along, but it was never really, um, the idea to start it as a business from the get go. I would have done it very differently if I'd known that it would turn into a business. Mm, like, can you tell us what you would have done differently? Oh yeah, totally. Like in the beginning, I had no idea about SEO, for example. And I avoid. This is one thing that I avoided looking into for the longest time because it scared me. Now it's one of the main things that I do, uh, and one of the things that I know best when it comes to like blogging. But at the time, it scared me, and it looked so technical. So for the first, I would say three years, maybe even longer, the articles I wrote like weren't optimized at all. Um, which meant that I had to go back later and like clean everything up and, and do all the things that you're supposed to do to have an article ranking Google. But I could have saved myself a lot of work if I'd looked into that beforehand. No doubt. That's, I mean, one thing I've come to the same conclusion with because I was stupid. And I was like, oh, like my content's going to be so valuable. <laughs> everyone is just going to share it and I will, I will climb the ranks in Google and I'll get to the top. And it's like after five years, like you still can't find me. Because I've never oh. done any SEO. I mean, granted, I'm in a, a very small niche market. No one's actually really searching for anything I'm offering except for a handful of people because I'm too early to the market. But yeah, I came to the same conclusion. Like SEO is obviously so important and should be the first thing you start really digging into or, or hire somebody to do it for you. Yeah, yeah, especially in travel because it's a super competitive niche. Now even more so than eight years ago. Well, yeah, that's my next question because, yeah, everybody wants to be a travel writer and a travel photographer. And how were you able to monetize it to make your full-time income with? Um, so I have I have various income streams, but the three biggest ones for me are ad revenue, affiliate income, and partnerships. And partnerships mostly marketing campaigns for destinations. So I would say that 90, 85 to 90% of the partnerships I do are marketing campaigns for tourism boards. So where I basically, I do a whole bunch of stuff to introduce the, the destination to my audience. Um, and I've, I've been able to grow that pretty well because very early on, I started going to lots of conferences, lots of trade fairs, did lots of like in-person networking and I really spend a lot of time to to grow those relationships and to maintain them as well. Are you, when you do these sorts of um, blog posts about destinations, are they all within Europe? Are they around the world? They're what, what mostly within Europe. For Europe travel, yeah. Independent travel within, I would say, Western Europe mostly. And your target audience are Europeans? Uh, Americans and Belgians, mostly. I get people from all over the world, I, I guess, because people from all over the world travel around Europe. But my two biggest audiences are the US and, and Belgium. And I think it's just Belgium makes sense because I'm Belgian. I have a lot of content about Belgium. Um, and the US is because I also like my blog is both in English and in Dutch. And I think as soon as you write in English, you get a big American audience because there's just so many Americans. Mm -hmm. How big is your audience? 
So, huh, it was, I had 100,000 um, monthly readers in January, but now because of the corona crisis, it's dipped immensely because nobody's looking for travel anymore. Yeah, of course. I feel you there. Is the, is the market pretty competitive for what you do in Europe? You know, to be honest, like, I travel a lot. I meet a lot of bloggers, but they're always doing about really exotic destinations. So for me to meet somebody who's doing it within Europe is kind of unique. So I'm wondering how, how big is how, how competitive is that market? Hmm, I would actually say it's more competitive. Well, that's my I know, intuition as well, but it, yeah, yeah. I just know. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few people first of all, who really know what they're doing and who are really good at what they do and who also focus on Europe. So writing about Europe is is competitive. Um, again, when I got started, I didn't like decide, oh, I'm going to write about Europe. It was just because that was what what was natural to me. I had already traveled around Europe quite a lot. I I love traveling around Europe. It's very easy for me to travel around Europe. And also... Like because I still had a, a normal job at the beginning, and because of other reasons, like traveling around Europe has always kind of come natural to me. Um, and then I had a lot of content around Europe, so it would have been weird if all of a sudden I would have added on lots of stuff about Thailand, for example. Mm-hmm. No, of course, yeah, stay within your in your lane, as they say. Yeah, or try to at least. <laughs> yeah. What makes, I mean, your writing style unique? Like, what do you think attracts your audience to you? Um, I'm super informative. So, yeah, and I like the emails I get from my readers, is, is it's mostly because they say like, oh, you know, we, we just used one of your blog posts. We, ha- we didn't need to do any additional research because everything was there. And so we could just print it out and take us with us and, and do all the things. So I, I think that's definitely a strength um, for me. I do have to say, like, it's at the same time, it's a constant struggle. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be sharing this, but I will share this because I feel like um, I always want to give so much information to people that at the same time, it's a bit hard for me to keep it personal as well. Um, because I get so caught up in sharing all the details, you know, and, and like all the things that they need to know. Mm-hmm. How often do you have to update the information? For example, in Nicaragua, you know, like businesses come and go all the time and yeah. travel bloggers are writing about something that's not going to exist in six months. Yeah, I try to do it annually. Um, and now I'm also trying to, so I'll share a lot of like cafes and restaurants and places like that on my social media i do it less now on the blog because those are the kind of places that are more likely to close within six months like you say um but yeah i try to update the content annually it's not possible to do it for all the content though because i have more than 600 posts in two languages so updating them alone would would take me a year probably yeah no doubt do you have one like major competitor and if 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 you do, are you cordial with them or is it like, do you have battles? <laughs> uh, no, it really depends on the article. Like for some destinations, I see some blogs popping up regularly in the top 10 and then for others, it's others. Um, the travel industry is a bit weird in that sense that whenever you go to a conference or a trade fair, 
everybody's just like everybody's so happy to see another travel vlogger basically and to see someone who gets what we're doing that it's pretty amicable always um yeah no i don't really i mean i fight my battles on google right i don't fight them with the person behind yeah. the website yeah, yeah of course yeah just outrank them exactly <laughs> so how many then businesses you said you had multiple income streams how many businesses do you have that bring an income positive cash flow yeah, so for for the travel blog, I also do consulting and I used to do a lot of freelance writing. So those are two other streams that I have through the blog. And then in January, I launched an influencer vetting agency. So basically what I'm doing there is helping travel brands decide which travel influencers they should or shouldn't be working with. So I'll I'll save them time by going through all the analytics, really digging into their backlink profile their social media engagement, like all the things that take up time if you really want to look at them properly. And then I've recently also launched a copywriting and content strategy agency because that's something that I've been wanting to do for a long, long time. And I've always been too busy just doing the day-to-day -day stuff with, with the blog. Um, but now that Corona is kind of forcing me not to travel, I felt like this was a perfect opportunity to finally get that off the ground. And how's that going? It's going really well. It's going way better than, than I'd expected, actually. I've just been telling people about it, and I've been getting referrals, and I've had so many calls, like intake calls planned this week. So, yeah, I'm actually I'm really excited. I'm super motivated. And the uh, name of that business is what? Let me write that down for you. .com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's the greatest I... name ever. I know it's so long, but I bought the domain name ages ago. And I was like, one day, like one day, this will be my writing business. So now the day has come. To be fair to you, it's really easy to remember. And when I have that need within my business, like I will remember that, you know, you're, oh, come, I love that. I'm going to come to you for that kind of uh, need. Yes. <laughs> what kind of people are reaching out to you? Anybody who just needs copy? Um, so at the moment, it's mostly e-commerce businesses and online service providers. How do you find that when you're writing about something that maybe you're not that interested in? Or are you just interested in anything that you get to write for? Yeah, so I love it that when it's a business from a new industry because I really get to dive into that industry. And for me, it's like I'm I'm basically being paid and I'm allowed to do research and to learn things that I otherwise may not learn. So I've, so far, I found it super interesting. It's an interesting path you took. I almost feel like you would have done really well in like becoming a professor or like going into education since you love research. It is. Oh, my God. It is so weird that you mention it. You know, I almost did. Well, it makes sense. I mean, just the way you speak about loving to do research, like the only feel I can imagine is... Yeah, I like, almost went into academics. Did you know what I wanted to do? Like, like, I don't know if you call it the same thing in English, like a doctorate. Okay, yeah. Yeah, PhD, PhD yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, did you, do you know what I was going to do it in? Tell me. History? Medieval Dutch literature. Interesting. <laughs> That's so bizarre. What, yeah. what, what aspect of medieval Dutch literature do you find interesting? Which stories, like what captures your I attention about it? Yeah, I don't know. It was all just, it's these kind of stories that like on the surface has have nothing to do with what's going on today. 
but they always have these deeper lessons, I would say, like this universal truths, right? Or these moral lessons that are still very relevant and that you can still apply to like modern life. So I think I really like that. And I just, I just love that they left a lot of room for interpretation and you could really, yeah, like play with the meanings behind the stories. You know, your personality seems very light, bubbly, you know, playful. But when you say I wanted to go into medieval Dutch, <laughs> that sounds so dark, you know? Um, and I don't know anything about that literature. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's light and playful like your personality. But do you have a dark side? Oh, totally. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm someone who's very, I think I'm a very positive person. And I easily get a lot of joy from like very small and simple things like cake. Um, but at the same time, I'm someone who's very much in my head. So I'm, I'm a complete overthinker and over worrier about all the things all the time. Um, but I somehow managed not to let that out so much, I think. Is that culturally something that's kind of normal for like our Belgian people mm -hmm. kind of like that? Yes and no. I would say we're, we're quite reserved and we will open up with like the people who are closest to us. Um, but for me, it's also just like, I'm someone when I feel bad, I will give myself two hours to feel bad and then I, I'll get on with things, right? Because there's no point in just laying there and feeling bad, basically. Or I will try to work on it. And I do share like those darker moments, I would say, with the people who are really close to me. Um, but I just try to not let them dominate me, even though mentally sometimes that happens. Um yeah, I think I just always try to keep going somehow. Good for you. That's I don't know if that makes sense. I'm thinking about it as I'm telling you about it. Well, yeah, we could get into the inner workings of what you actually do. I think, <laughs> you know, for this episode, we'll, we'll just stick to, you know, yeah, just let's, what you let's do. Keep uh, limited. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing in your past that you mentioned that was interesting, I didn't understand, was cultural management. What is that? What is cultural management? And why did you study that? Yeah, maybe I translated it, it it badly, but it was kind. So it was a master's degree that touched a little bit of everything you need to know if you want to get into the management or the workings of cultural institutions, like museums, theaters, um, dance houses, stuff like that. So for the longest time while I was studying, because I'm very like I, I love the performing arts. Um, and I, I always thought like, oh, you know, I'm going to be one of those persons that works in the cultural scene and who does all these things with writing and, and everything. And then after that year, I realized I'm a bit too down to earth for that and um, probably also not diplomatic enough. Um, but it was, yeah, it was interesting. The first thing that came to mind when you'd said that is something that um, my ex-girlfriend who's German studies which is being that person who when different businesses work cross-culturally oh and yeah employees say come to belgium who are from america she kind of helps them transition into like this is culturally normal for us when we conduct business yeah she like helps them understand like the way you do it's fine but now that you're here living here and you're going to be conducting business within our system like you have to like kind of play by these rules 
Yeah, I think that's much more interesting than what I did, actually. <laughs> um, what other kind of stuff are you into? I mean, it sounds like you have set a course for yourself to kind of base yourself in Europe. Um, obviously, all everything you write about is Europe-centric. Do you ever have plans to, like, take a vacation, say, to Thailand? Like, we're all, I mean, were you in at DCPKK this year? I was at DCPKK, yeah, and I went to Chiang Mai afterwards as well. And you're not going to believe this, but 2019 was the first year in my travel blogging career that I went to Chiang Mai. Wow. How you. atypical is that? <laughs> yeah. Very atypical. I think uh, we probably crossed paths. I mean, you look very familiar. I think I saw you at one of the events somewhere. Could um, be, could be. Yeah. But so then what did you think about it? Was it fun? Was it worth it? Was it interesting? Do you want to go back? Uh, I didn't have enough time to explain. I did have some time in Chiang Mai. I like Chiang Mai better than Bangkok. Um, in general, I'm quite a, a big fan of big cities, but Bangkok was just too much for me. And I think one of the reasons that I haven't traveled extensively around Asia yet is because I'm not a big fan of the humidity. Like, I love warm weather, but I prefer, like, dry warm weather. Um, I did really like Chiang Mai, though, and I was hoping to go back this year. I, I'm hoping to go back to Bangkok as well. Let's see what happens with the whole corona situation. But, yeah. Yeah, me too. Fingers crossed. Like, I love my trips to Thailand every year. Like, I look forward to them. I'd love to stay longer. I mean, I yeah. will if I can ever get something off the ground that pays me more than <laughs> I'm getting paid right now. <laughs> um, one aspect of uh, wonderful wanderings I'd like to dive into a little bit more is, I mean, you do a, provide a service for people who reach out to you. It's just, not just a blog, but you help you know plan itiner itineraries for them, right? I did, actually. I put that on hold um, okay. because if I'm completely honest – I would put a lot of time in those itineraries mm. and people would only be willing to pay very, very little. Mm. And I figured it made more sense to just put everything on the blog then and make it available for everyone to enjoy mm. than to put a lot of work into something that only one person would use. Yeah, I can relate to the amount of effort and detail you put into what you do. Um, and it sounds like you're not willing to compromise that and I'm the same way. No. I create videos for people, instructional videos for their surfing online based oh. with the footage they send me. And I have not in the last five years been able to like systematize it in a way that is fast, efficient, and scalable because it's mm -hmm. such a personal thing that I yeah. can identify through looking at their footage and I know what they kind of need to hear and then I know how to like say it to them in the right way and I can't make that a cookie cutter copy for everybody you know it just it takes me hours and sometimes days to make a 15 minute video for somebody with a few minutes of footage like I just, yeah i totally yeah i, I get that be willing to really sacrifice that quality mm -hmm. for a, a different result you know yeah i've had people tell me in the past like oh but you know you can have like these list of i don't know like these things in rome that you always recommend of these things and i'm like no because i know that this person will like this better and the other person will like, and it just wouldn't feel right to me if I would be using a template or, you know, make it easy on myself just to make it go faster. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely not willing to cut down on the quality for that either. What other ventures do you have in your mind right now? Do you have anything else you think about starting in the future? Business Three wise? businesses is not enough. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I just talked to Ray and Ray's got like eight, you know, and he's got Ray's a million, crazy. million ideas and it sounds like you're not afraid of starting multiple businesses. So I was just wondering. No, that's true. But I do think Ray has a much bigger team than I have. So, yeah, he has a bit more time to start these things as well. No, I first, because I only just launched uh, the influencer vetting business and the the copy business, I first want to see, like, how I can grow those. And I also feel that it's better to properly dedicate my time to something um, instead of, like, trying 10 different things at once and then doing none of them right. Yeah, of course. How big is your team? So I have freelancers. I have, let me think, I have a tech guy like who does development work or whenever I break something, he fixes it. He's been with me since, I would say, 2013 or 2014 already. Mm-hmm. And then I have two people who help me with writing and research work. And I have one person who helps me with Pinterest and I'm hoping to make a next hire next week. Nice. Next yeah. week. So, I mean, yeah. So, your businesses are flourishing enough that you can continue hiring. Well, the travel business did take a big blow. Um, but, like, Belgians have saving in their blood. So, <laughs> I've always been, like, I've always had my ducks in a row when it comes to finances, which means that I don't have to panic right now. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like financially you're very stable. You have enough runway to weather this pandemic and and wait for the gates of the world to open back up. So, I mean, that's awesome. That's cool to hear. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, and I also figure now's the time to make sure that the blog is like in the best position it can be for when travel picks up again. I don't see a point in letting it sit cold for six months or maybe a year because then it'll just be behind when things pick up again. Behind on like competitors and also just, yeah, behind in my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. You know, before I let you go, um, if you could speak to one audience member who's listening right now who, you know, would love to start a travel blog or come to Europe for the first time. You know, a lot of Americans don't travel, they're afraid to travel thanks to the American media. Um, yeah. What would you help? What would you say to help them, inspire them, motivate them to take that first step into starting that online business blog or take that first trip? Well, I can do both. Can I talk to two people? I'll do both. Yes, please. For the online business, first of all, like really just get get started. Um, I've noticed that the moments that I make most progress are the moments that I don't think too much and that I just research as I do things. When you start researching too much, you you have the chance that you get stuck in that and then don't take action. That being said, don't make the mistake that I made um, to like kind of start it as a hobby and just wing it. And then three years later, go like, oh, shit, I have to optimize all these things. So having a bit of a plan is good, but don't plan too long. Um, For the people who want to come to Europe for the very first time. I will just give you the opposite perspective. Like for me as a European, the United States is a way scarier place than Europe is. Um, And I would also say that, you know, wherever you're traveling is also someone's home, is always someone's home. So maybe look at it that way, you know, don't just see it 
as a destination that you could travel to and this is that's full of scary things but also see it as a place where people are actually living and all these normal things are happening and maybe that will make it more familiar for you or maybe that will make it easier to see the things that are familiar beautifully said thank you so much for your time sophie we appreciate and love you talk to you soon talk to you soon bye Awesome. Thank you so much, Sophie, for joining me. It was such a pleasure talking to you. I was so inspired by your story. I love the fact that you were able to build your side hustle into such a flourishing business, you know, 100,000 readers per month as of January 2020. What accomplishment. So stoked for you. Again, folks, if you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button. As you heard in the intro, I'm really, really interested in connecting with you, the listener the long-time listeners, the new listeners, the people who are motivated to help me grow Misfits and Rejects into the future. Let's communicate. Please reach out. Hit me up, chapin at misfitsandrejects.com. I'd like to take it even into getting on the phone call with you, starting a dialogue. I love Misfits and Rejects. I love you. I want to continue on with this project and grow it to a place that more people can listen, more people can get inspired. And you know, it might need to change in a way that I didn't know it needed to change, which is why I'd like to communicate with you. Maybe find out if I need to deliver something more, something extra, something of more value. So as again, you heard in the intro, I'm looking to connect with you, the listener. I'm not going to hit you up for money. It's nothing like that. It's just to really start understanding who you are, what you like about what I do, so I can now grow Misfits and Rejects into what I really want it to be. And like I said, stay tuned. There's going to be an extra episode slipped in this week just after Sophie's where I really just go deep into what happened to me recently with Misfits and Rejects, the huge shock that has sent me into a whole new direction with how I think about Misfits and Rejects and what I want to do with Misfits and Rejects and how I want to grow Misfits and Rejects. But I need your help. I need you to reach out to me. So please email me, chapin at misfitsandrejects.com, or you can find me through my website, misfitsandrejects.com. Let's start that dialogue. Thank you again for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful. Here's to the future. Stay tuned. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.